Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. Who has time for intro music when we can just get straight to the point? Uh, it's speaking with Continuum Distilling out of Connecticut today, and, and no, I haven't turned my back on, on beer, but uh, their story is really interesting, so I want to talk to them. They, they distill using finished beer from brewery partners, and this is a brand new distillery opened just a few months ago, right before COVID hit, like weeks before COVID hit. Um, but yeah, the finish, uh, the finished beer that they distill with, uh, it gives their, their spirits uh, some really unique beerish type uh, flavor profiles. So if after the interview you want to learn more about them, check them out at www.continuumdistilling.com. Happy to be joined now by Brandon Collins, the founder and head distiller of Continuum Distilling in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, uh, Continuum was founded in, in February 2020, so pretty recent, and there's a there's been a lot that's been going on just since that short amount of time. Um, but uh, Brandon, thanks for thanks for coming on and making some time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so, really, the main reason why I want to to speak with you today is to hear about your unique distillation process, and we're going to get pretty in, into that later on. So, no need to talk about it too much right now. But before we get to that part, I guess just introduce yourself a little bit. Um, how, how'd you get into dis, uh, distilling to begin with, where you're from? Yeah, I mean, so we just have a quick chat right before we got on the air. And, um, you know, you're from Louisville. I'm from uh, Columbia, Tennessee, which is, you know, just a few hours south of you there, uh, right in the heart of a different whiskey country, which is Tennessee whiskey. Uh, grew up um, 45 minutes from both the Jack Daniels distillery and the George Dickel distillery. Um, my parents took me on tours just as I take my daughter to different places uh, um, at a very young age, you know, just going around. And uh, I remember uh, smelling that like, you know, sour corn mash being fermented. Uh, it was a, a, a you know, a, a smell, a, a nuance that always carried with me. And um Worked in a uh, whiskey bar in college, which was kind of my real first experience learning what good whiskey was. Uh, I'd always just thought it was something, you know, you mixed with Coke or Sprite, you know, had a good time around the bonfire with, uh, but never really realized that until I started. It was like Highland Malts that got me into yeah. things. And uh, even uh, Woodford uh, was the very first like small batch uh, at the time uh, bourbon. Uh, that I that really like transferred me into like thinking that like whiskey was more than just uh, you know a, a party drink and um, went on to uh, get my uh, undergraduate degree in chemistry and then went to grad school and got a, a, a master's in chemistry and so worked in the pharmaceutical industry for 13 years uh, doing protein crystallography and uh my department at the pharmaceutical company that i worked for shifted all their um, functions to germany and at that time i needed to figure out whether i was going to make another cross-country move or i was going to stay um, local and i had done a lot of research played around you know with a number of different things and uh decided that, you know, what could I do to stick around locally uh, in the area? And the real kicker was uh, the week after I uh, got this layoff notice, 
I was in my local brewery, which is Blackhawk Brewing in Oxford, Connecticut. And there was a flyer up on the door saying that they were looking for an intern. And it was a three month internship. You would work on the canning line. You would be like labeling bottles, wax dipping bottles, all these different things that were uh, somewhat menial tasks, but they were how you would understand how a brewery worked. And it was a three month internship. And uh, uh, part of the severance from my former employer was a three month window where I could not accept a new position. Hmm. And so it overlapped perfectly. And that was just my window into the industry. So I worked this internship and enjoyed it a lot and started just seeing some processes on their side that in my former training, I was uh, all looking at different um, uh, ways to do process improvement. And I saw that every fermenter run you know, they had 60 barrel, 30 barrel fermenters. And at the bottom of every fermenter and at the bottom of every bright tank, there was a little bit of leftover, not significant. And, but enough that if you started adding it up and collected that over time, there were, there was alcohol in that, and not just alcohol, but extremely flavorful alcohol, uh, unpackageable beer, you know, a lot of hop sediment, yeast sediment, things like that in it but what if we distilled it? And that's where I started talking to the owners there and said like, hey, what if I just took a little bit of this and played around with it for a little bit? And they were super open to it. And that was the start of the conversation. So what does what is, what is that look like when you distill something for the first time? I mean, what I, I don't know Connecticut laws, for example. Like, was there anything special that the brewery had to do while you were kind of back there tinkering? Yeah. So, you know, we built this up over time, I will say, mm -hmm. you know, so this was um, an idea that, ha you know, evolved over the course of about one year, uh, you know, and I'm simplifying that it was more like eight to nine months of it being more of a serious discussion. And we, uh, we did reach out to a local distillery, uh, Litchfield Distillery in Litchfield, Connecticut, and asked them if they would allow us to do our pilot batch there. And that um, that way we all did this on the up and up and, um, it wasn't as amazing as we thought it would be, but it gave us some hope. And, you know, I, I talked to the distillers there back and forth a lot and we really like thought of, you know, like why was it potentially off and, you know, and hops are a hard thing to play with, um, when you start to distill them, um, there's lots of compounds that can be produced, uh, you know, some sulfurs and things like that, that, you know, give you some significantly off flavors and things that you would not want in your distillate. And uh, we got those uh, on the first run. Um, but I went back to the drawing board. We decided that this was a viable thing, uh, knowing that we had a possible game plan uh, to move forward. Um, and then we went through a year worth of, you know, financial planning, business development, and uh, finding space, finding a, you know, uh, equipment, things like that. And in the meantime, so then we fast forward a year later, 
uh, went to uh, another uh, distillery for that had a different um, still setup and did our first pilot or our true pilot batch that went in, you know, production wise. And uh, we had it all dialed in and came out really well. That was a Westford Hill Distillers in Ashford, Connecticut. Uh, some really awesome people up there. Um, and, you know, a lot of the difference was just simply the, the makeup of the still. And, you know, I'm sure that the same happens uh, in the brewing industry that you can brew the same recipe on any brew system, but it's going to turn out different every time you brew it. And the same uh, actually happens uh, in the uh, distilling industry. And one of the, the crazy differences is, is, is actually pretty obvious, which is that, you know, when a still is set up to do like a vodka or a gin versus a whiskey, um, it really is uh, more applicable uh, or, or it's, it's more difficult to do, I would say, even uh, a beer, which has so many components in it um, when you're actually trying to distill that off. Tell, tell me about the products that y'all are producing now. Yeah, so we do uh, three main uh, our three main products right now, which is our rum, which is called Continue Rum. Uh, it's uh, distilled from 100% blackstrap molasses. Uh, we use a uh, recycled beer yeast. So we work with one of our local brewery partners, and we take the beer off the bottom of the fermenter ever after it's distilled. Uh, sorry, fermented out a uh, brown ale, uh, and harvest that yeast off and um, ferment out the blackstrap molasses. It's going to give us a lot rounder flavor than a traditional distiller's yeast. Uh, we triple distill that, and the uh, blackstrap molasses gives us this great, like, grassy, robust flavor, uh, very unlike most uh, white rums that you're going to get out there. I actually uh, had a, a rumarita last night uh, hmm. with it. It's excellent. Um, just uh, when you normally have a rum drink, you really don't taste the rum, and that's one of the, the aspects that I wanted to have in, in the rum that I make. Uh, our, our other two flagship products are, are really heavily, heavily focused on uh, recycling beer and in its fullest, and that would be our Drops. Our Drops is a spirit distilled from IPAs. So we take, uh, and when we get these different uh, hoppy beers in from the different brewery partners, and we have 23 breweries we're working with right now, hmm. um, which uh, increased from seven at the start of COVID. Uh, and we, we can get into more of that story yeah, in a minute, yeah. but, uh, when we get these IPAs in the very hoppy beers, uh, we take those, um, transfer them, uh, from whatever form they're in, um, whether we're collecting at the bottom of the fermenter, whether we're getting some out of code kegs, out of code cans, um, and we transfer those into 300 gallon tanks. Um, we add a little bit of sugar and some fresh yeast and keep that fermentation process going. Um, we're trying to get our ABV up and we just need active fermentation to ensure that we don't get any cross contamination during this transfer process. Um, once we do that, we'll double distill it. And that's going to uh, give us a, a product that is very hoppy, bright, botanical, floral. Um, some people equate it to a gin but it doesn't have that harsh uh, flavor that a juniper might uh, give to you. Um, it mixes really, really well with a number of different uh, cocktails. 
Uh, and, and it's and it's actually delicious on its own, just over rocks uh, or with a splash of lime or lemon juice. So uh, it just gives you that that floralness of the hops and just that basically a hop extract that comes out of these beautiful beers that we're working with. And one of the things I want to point out is that, you know, we work with amazing craft brewers. You know, these guys are just really pumping out just top-notch IPAs and other, you know, styles. And when you're really extracting out those flavors from these just excellent beers, it just gives me, you know, a leg up on being able to make, you know, it's almost like my job's easy. You know, just, <laughs> if it, It's one thing, you know, if I was trying to create all this stuff from scratch, but when I'm working with just amazing partners, it just helps me so much to make, you know, uh, a product that people are definitely uh, excited to enjoy. Well, and, and was there a whiskey product as well? Yeah. So that's our chard. So that's the, uh, we're not allowed to call it a whiskey on the label. Mm -hmm. uh, the TTB uh, disqualifies it because it has hops uh, in the beer. Um, so what we do is, uh, and, you know, even if we were just distilling the straight beer, but that, that comes from the porters, stouts, brown ales, uh, lagers, uh, basically the, the things that have less hop in them, uh, more malt character. Uh, and we take that same process double distill it but then we age that on local wood staves uh these are wood state the uh trees uh wood that we harvest ourselves um it's uh trees that have come down in storms we try not to go out and need to cut down a tree for anything um but we focus on some unique varieties of wood we um, we use a lot of white oak uh, that would be very similar to mm -hmm. the, the barrels that most uh, distillers use. But we also throw in uh, some black birch, some uh, maple, uh, hickory, and cherry, some other flavors that just really um, are, are very unique that you're not going to get in a barrel itself. And it gives us some some robust flavors that that people definitely enjoy a lot and are new to them so uh our chard it's going to drink different than any whiskey you've ever had so uh the malt bill is a lot more like an irish or a scot scotch whiskey uh based on it being mostly barley like all beers mm -hmm. um but you're also going to get these chocolate malts uh roasted malts you know caramel malts that are just um not going to be as complex as a standard malt bill on most whiskeys that you get. So, I mean, between, you know, the, you know, distilling with reclaimed beer and, um, using, you know, down trees to, to use with, with wood. Um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like y'all are pretty environmentally friendly. Is that fair to say? A hundred percent. You know, you are one of our biggest focuses is sustainability and you know our major tagline is called maintain the continuum and it simply means that we're trying everything we can do to find a product that we can transfer into another product and or at least utilize in some part of the process um you know our, our facility is built around uh, minimal infrastructure uh, it's built around you know the tanks we use are uh, shipping uh, containers that 
contains syrup or olive oil or something like that. They're modular, they're stackable, um, and they, they work well for our process. Um, our stills are built out of uh, stainless steel shipping drums. Um, so we really try to focus on that, um, try to do everything we can to reduce water consumption. Um, energy consumption is a tough one, you know, like uh, you have to burn a lot of energy to uh, distill. So that, that's one we're still working on. Um, but, you know, we definitely are 100% uh, uh, focused on sustainability uh, throughout the process. Tell me about the, the brewery partners that you have. Yeah, so um, we all, it all started with Black Hog uh, in Oxford. Uh, that was the first brewery partner. I actually worked there after the internship for about a year. Um, worked in their uh, warehouse as their inventory manager and just wanted to really dive in and, and get into the beverage industry and learn it on the side that I didn't know, which was distribution. Uh, so I did that. And those guys uh, have been great in helping me create partnerships uh, and in increase my network. Um, we, our, our physical facility is in the same building as Brassworks Brewing uh, here in Waterbury, uh, a little bit smaller brewery, but uh, great guys and they great beer, have a great uh, following, always have uh, a lot of fun stuff here at the brewery. Uh, and one of the reasons why I chose this location is so that we could actually find ways to utilize each other's um, strengths and bring, you know, new traffic into the area. Um, and then we have lots of breweries across the state that have just been significantly uh, uh, helpful in this endeavor. Um, back East up in Bloomfield, Bad Sons, uh, Derby, Connecticut, Charter Oak and Danbury. Uh, and we've even uh, expanded uh, outside of the state uh, with uh, Lawson's um, yeah. and uh, out of Vermont, you know, uh, uh, very recently been, been distilling a lot of uh, Sip of Sunshine. <laughs> I just want to say, like, it's something that probably people think uh, is is insane that there's Sip of Sunshine that went out of code. But, you know, that's probably uh, one of the most significant things that happened um, during COVID is how many kegs uh, just were not able to go to bars and restaurants and be sold. Yeah. Uh, what? How were you able to recoup some of those? Yeah, we got from, you know, that's just one example, um, but there were... Uh, Across the board, um, lots of our brewery partners had anywhere from two or three pallets of kegs up to 50 pallets of kegs uh, that just they had to have somebody help them dispose of. Uh, and that disposal uh, for us is, is actually not disposing. We're just transferring it into a tank and then uh, distilling it off. Um, we have a system that we use where we hook, hook a set a couplers up to the kegs um, to an air compressor and transfer those into our tanks um, and are able to return their kegs back uh, empty, which is uh, much easier for them. They don't have to do a number of things. One is the labor of actually uh, decanting the kegs and two is having to put that liquid, that beer, uh, down the drain, which normally their local municipality would not be too happy with at that uh, volume. 
to be able to, um, you know, have to deal with that much alcohol and uh, pH change in the uh, water treatment system. So you, you have this incredible amount of beer coming in. I mean, are you changing up your, your recipes at all internally to account, uh, to account for like these different so, types of beers? So, yeah. I mean, so a couple things, one is we've extremely changed our process and how we would normally do this. So normally, you know, we get in a little bit of beer at a time and it kind of has a cycle. And so we go through a stripping run, which is just to remove the beer or sorry, the alcohol from the beer. Uh, and then we go through a spirits run, which is what actually polishes that off and makes it into that final spirit. Now we're just running um, two runs a day of stripping runs and just trying to pool all of the alcohol. And then sometime in September, when we catch up, we'll start doing our spirits runs again. Um, but yeah, we got hit with a lot. Um, and we also, you know, we're looking at our production yield through July being almost twice what I anticipated for all of 2020. Wow. The, just the amount of input that we had was just so much more than I ever thought we would even get this year. So, um, that's a good thing for us, but yeah, for the recipe side, um, my constant input into the system is taking what beer comes in and pairing it with the other beers that I already have on hand and deciding when I want to cut off a certain batch. So we do, we do everything in batches. We batch number everything. It's on every bottle that we make. And that's all based on what I think pairs together. So yeah, um, I've had to do that more than ever right now. And I'm also taking larger risks on that because I'm having batches that are five X what they were six months ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm hoping they're going to pair well together. Uh, <laughs> but you know, that's one of the things that we're going to, um, find out, uh, later this year. But I, you know, I obviously taste them uh, as we go along. And then the fact that I know the quality of the input in these beers, um, knowing that they're coming from just amazing breweries really helps to know that I'm going to have like uh, some really good quality product coming out of this. In, in your experimentation uh, along the way, have any styles of beer proven to be just flat out unusable? So no, but some create more challenges than others, you know, and, um, you know, Brett, Saison, things like that, uh, are the, some of the stronger flavors that are going to, uh, come through. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some, you know, like I said, you can get some buildup of sulfur that happens, but, you know. I'm picturing just like, like a wild ale or something like, I don't you know. know the, the thing is with all of those, I get such a little percentage that it doesn't dominate any certain batch. Mm. So the, and the reason I am getting a lot of the beer that I've gotten during COVID is, and it's 
IPA oh, because okay. IPA has, it has the the short shelf life. Yeah, I get very very little uh, stout brown ale things like that. Um, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, why, why, uh, yeah. So the the hard ones. If I had, if you gave me sixty barrels of a, you know, Brett fermented or a lacto something like that, it, that's a curveball. But I never get that much. I'm getting a half a keg that was tapped in the tap room that they didn't serve, and you know, uh, that's all they had left. But most of those things uh, are are not in high enough quantity that they they really influence my process. That's fair. Um, I'd also like to go ahead and touch on a little bit about um, the the COVID experience. So obviously you you all opened up r- right uh, before COVID <laughs> hit, and then pretty much had to shut your doors again. Um, yeah, we opened up the twenty second of February. Um, we're open for, I think, three weeks after that, three weekends. And uh, then Connecticut uh, shut down everything. And um, we're doing great. Like, we had a great grand opening each weekend, ton of people in. Um, just the momentum was amazing. Uh, then the 13th of uh, March, we actually launched uh, statewide distribution. And the 17th was the day that all bars and restaurants were shut down in the state. So um, our distributor had a lot of trouble, you know, uh, dealing with their own internal things that they had to deal with COVID and realizing that there, there was no one to sell to, especially for a new product. So we've, we've had a stall for the last three months, and we're just hoping that July is a big change for that. Um well, despite we, that, despite the stall, um, I mean, and despite being very, you know, young uh, as a business, you all still managed to give back. I saw a little bit. Yeah, uh, we we did our relief drop, so it was uh, a one-off batch of our standard drop spirit. Um, I did a little bit different um, treatment of that than I normally do. So instead of adding the sugar and re-fermenting, I literally just took and straight fermented uh, this fresh beer that I got in. Um, It was three different double IPAs, um, about 2,000 gallons total that came in. And uh, they just, they paired really well together. A lot stronger malt backbone and then just some smack in your face hops with that. And what we did is we released that and gave back $10 for every bottle sold uh, to the partner breweries that helped us out over uh, basically March, April, and May. Uh, Anyone that donated beer. And we just stopped the campaign yesterday. uh, And I'm just in the process of calculating totals. And we're going to be sending out checks this week to those partner breweries um, that that, uh, helped us by giving us beer. Very cool. Um, thank you for doing that. Uh, overall, you know, you, you, it, Continuum bridges the gap, it seems, between the uh, craft distilleries and, and craft breweries. So what what is that relationship like between the two industries? Yeah, so off the top, you know, it allows us to, if you even take it out from the industry itself, but to the uh, consumer, you know, 
we're bringing people across because most people will walk up and say like, I don't like hard, hard alcohol. You know, I don't like spirits. Da, 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 da. And then you tell them the story and say, well, why don't you just try it? And then they're like, Oh, well, I can taste the beer that it was made. Yeah. From. Did you get any like craft beer self-proclaimed um, aficionados come in during those first three weekends being open that were just like, Hey, I really like beer. Don't know anything about spirits. Can I try this? Yeah. All the time, all the time, you know, they, uh, and they're like, I just never would have tried this if it were just like a vodka or a gin or da, 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 da. They, they say that all the time. Um, and are just like, the reason I enjoy this is because I can taste the elements of the beers that it was made from. Are you drinking more spirits or beer now? Me personally, I, I, I'm still a beer guy to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, I always have been, and it's just because, I mean, I, I'm drinking also more beer because I'm tasting it to know what I want to make my product from. Mm -hmm. So I know what my spirits taste like a lot. And I, I don't go to the store very often anymore to buy new spirits. So that, that's one of the things that I do lack uh, just the opportunities to do sometimes. Um, I do when something catches my eye, I run out and I'll grab, you know, four or five bottles of some, some new things that I, that I researched. But uh, um, in general, yeah, I'm wanting to taste a lot of the new beers that are coming out. Um, and I drink a lot of the old beer that comes into me mm -hmm. that when I, it comes in in a keg or a can or whatever, um, I'm tasting that to ensure that the flavors meld with the product that I'm trying to make. It, it would obviously increase your water bill, but do you have any desire to start, you know, a continuum brewing and then combine the operations? Uh, no, not currently. Um, what I even do with partners right now is like, if I got to the point where I didn't have an influx of beer coming in and say, I wanted to make a bourbon, I would reach out to two or three of my brewery partners and say like, you already have mash tons and boil kettles, you know, like, what would be a contract price for me to come in and make the mash in your facility and then just transport it to me and I'll do the final distillation. Mm. So that that's really what, in, you know, the vision of continuum was from the infancy, 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 I'll get the word out in a second <laughs> is um, not just about recycling, but also levering partnerships. You know, why do I need, another $50,000, $100,000 in infrastructure if I've built these partnerships and I can make these things happen over time. Um, so, so that's where I would see that. Uh, and I think that makes more of a sustainable impact on, on our you know, environment in general, um, especially when you talk about water impact and things like that. Just when you have less of a footprint, but yet a higher um, influence, you know, that that's where you can, can leverage yourself to the best of your ability. I like it. 
Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but you know, if, if, if you had things your way and there weren't any other, you know, uh, shutdowns or anything like that, what is your, what's your 2021 plan? Like what's, what's the next growth opportunity? Yeah. Well, I mean, biggest thing is that we're building inventory like crazy right now. So, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to have the launch that we wanted to have, um, out, you know, or at least it got shut down prematurely. Um, and, uh, you know, not to be a pessimist, but, you know, I don't see the end of 2020 being. Don't, don't bring me down. <laughs> it, it, it's still going to be reserved. Yeah. Is all I should totally. say. Uh, and so, yeah, 2021, we're going to have a lot of inventory. We're looking at doing a lot more events. You know, one of the things that we had great success, uh, from in 2019, when we were just talking concept and just had pilot, uh, product available, uh, we did beer fest, uh, two or three times a weekend, hmm. um, as many as we could do. And th those are where we truly got that, uh, cross-functional, um, interest between the, uh, craft brewing, craft brewing and craft distilling industries. And, you know, uh, there aren't very many opportunities for craft distilling to just go out there and truly bridge that gap. And, and we were doing great with that. So we're just really hoping that comes back in 2021. Um, we've got, uh, our three main products we talked about, but the thing that's going to come out is a lot of the stuff that I've been aging now for that will be a couple years old uh come next year a uh, lot of things that are very very novel you know we've got a, a grappa that we made from a local winery using their grape scans um uh, what we actually are releasing this weekend is our blueberry rum which is uh uh taking local blueberry lo local blueberries from uh farms here and infusing those into our rum uh, great summertime drink. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff like that that comes out over the years. And I just really want to get people in here uh, and get them uh, involved in the process, learn about the process and, you know, be able to ask questions and learn uh, about what we're doing. You know, as, as you were talking about going to beer fests and everything and kind of getting, getting out there into the beer community, I, I realized that I've spoken to somebody else uh, in Connecticut before. Uh, but only one other entity, and, and that was Athletic Brewing Company. They're yeah, yeah, at a Stratford, I guess. Thanks, Stratford. Um, and it was interesting to hear them talk about their their kind of, you know, how how they participate in Brewers Guild activities, and and they try to um, get themselves in front of the craft beer community. So I do uh, appreciate that uh, parallel for you all as well. Yeah, those guys are great, and I mean, I think that's been the the big thing for them too. Is like, you know with what they're doing, if you don't get in front of the consumer, you know, it's really hard to convince somebody that they want something that has no booze in it, you know, mm -hmm. but then they taste it and they're like, Oh, wow, I can drink this guilt free. So, uh, yeah, those guys are amazing. It's very cool. All right. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. So Brandon, I really appreciate you coming on and, and teaching me a little bit more about what you do, what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks so much for reaching out. And, uh, you know, I'm always here. So anytime you got questions, give me a call. Thank you.